experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, here at the XML Financial Group. The last show I did two weeks ago, we were just kicking off earnings season. And this week, we have the last of the major reports coming in. This week, we'll have over 160 companies in the S&P 500 tell us how their earnings were for the third quarter. So far, we've had almost 75% of the S&P 500 speak out. And overall, they've beat estimates by about 10%. If you didn't listen to all To the last show, we talked about how the financials were just blowing the numbers out of the water compared to the rest of the market, and that continues to hold up. So far, the financials as a group have surpassed expectations by almost 19%, with the rest of the market beating by just over 8%. So that's a big gap. It's really been sort of a mixed bag. You've really had good numbers from folks like Goldman Sachs and U.S. Bank Corps, and then you've had some flops from the likes of Apple, Amazon, and Facebook. The market really didn't seem to care all that much, chalking it up to short-term issues, and we've ended up having a nice rally during the month of October. I want to say we were up maybe 5 or 6% for the month. Of course, that's after the market had pulled back 5% or so. Another example of why you shouldn't try and time the market. After more than 20 years of managing money, I've yet to see a short-term trading strategy that actually works. I just don't believe that there's a way to accurately and consistently determine the short-term market movements. And I think the academic research bears that out. I think it's best to be invested in the market that is invested in value-type stocks that offer the highest potential returns rather than playing the timing game. You know, Peter Lynch, the famous money manager, he once said that he calculated that more than half of the investors in his fund lost money. I mean, Peter Lynch has a great track record, phenomenal returns. But he said that happened because money would flow in after a couple of good quarters and then flow out after a couple of not so good quarters. The Nobel Prize winner, William Sharp, he found that the that a market timer had to be right 82% of the time to match a buy and hold type return. And there's even other research that tells us the risk of market timing are nearly two times as great as the potential rewards. The reality is, is that most of the market returns come from short periods of time, just like we just saw. And you don't know when those times are coming So it's just best to be invested for the long haul, which is what we do. Now, that doesn't mean you buy and forget it. You just don't buy a stock and forget about it, put it away. No, I think you buy high quality businesses when you think that you're getting a good deal. And when the market is in an excited state and they're willing to pay you more than what that business is worth, well, then you might want to consider selling it to them, you know, that buy low, sell high thing. Now, that's a very different mindset 
than trading stocks. In my opinion, too many people are focused on the short run. How did my, you know, how did my portfolio do yesterday? How, you know, what did I do last week? Where am I for the quarter? You go to almost any website that's market related and you're going to find tons of articles of what stock or sector is going to stand out over the short term. But what I strongly suggest is that it's more important to be diversified. You've heard it before. Diversification helps reduce excess risk and it keeps you from having too much money in the wrong place. Now, that doesn't mean you need to own 200 different stocks. Can't possibly keep track of all those. I typically like to own between 20 and 30 stocks. When it gets closer to 30, well, things start getting a little tough there to stay on top of it because, well, you've heard, you might have heard over diversification is a thing too. On top of diversification, you need to know the underlying fundamentals of what you own. And I think this is critical. You can't invest in individual stocks unless you understand what the companies do. As I always say, you have to do your own research. Just don't take my word for it or, you know, believe what you read in a magazine or something like that. So diversification and focusing on fundamentals are both critically important, but it also helps you if you develop a good investor mindset. You have a good investor mindset, you'll know the difference between making an investment and buying a lottery ticket. Buying a stock doesn't make you an investor. There's a big difference between investing and speculating. Now, again, don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with speculating, as long as you know that's what you're doing and you're not doing it with money that you can't afford to lose. Investor buy stocks to harvest the fruit that they'll bear in the future, meaning the increased dividends that the company is going to pay them and the potential capital appreciation. If you're buying a stock without doing your proper homework, then I would say you're speculating. What I'd suggest is that you approach it as if you had enough money to buy the entire company. You're going to sit down and you're going to ask yourself, well, what kind of business do I want to own? Well, you probably want to own one that's growing, that's making money, and not one that you're going to have to continually keep pumping money into and hoping that someday it'll pay off. Now, let's say you found a really good business and, and you bought it. Congrats. That's awesome. Now, as soon as you do, the market drops or an analyst comes out and downgrades the company. Do you get nervous and sell it because you think the stock's history? Because it's down a few points? If so, you're probably reacting to market opinion and perhaps not a real change in business fundamentals of the company that you bought. Speculators trade on market opinion and it's important to them because they're just renting the stock. They're not owning it for the long haul. In the short run, market opinion can and does move a stock, but investors, they've done their research. They know what's going on with the business, and most of the time, they should ignore the market opinion, assuming that the business fundamentals haven't changed. Just because the market pulled back doesn't necessarily mean the business has changed. Just because a fine business like, oh, Pepsi, symbol PEP, just because Pepsi goes down $4 one day and up $4 the next, it doesn't mean that they sold less Pepsi one day and more the next. No. That's just the market opinion on that day. 
my point here is you don't panic. Over the years, I've seen all kinds of interviews with great investors like Warren Buffett and John Templeton, and I've never seen any of them in a panic state. So develop an investor mindset and let the fundamentals be your guides. A guide. I have uh, a couple of minutes or so. So since it's earning seasons, let's let's do a brief rundown on the top four and the top four being my four big ho- biggest holdings in my portfolio. In the leadoff position, probably comes as no surprise, it's Warren Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, symbol BRKB. I buy the B shares. Now, Berkshire hasn't announced, but they are coming out on Saturday morning. According to the analysts who follow them, Berkshire's operating earnings are expected to rise somewhere around 32% to $3.03 a share from a year earlier period. And that's reflecting what they believe to be higher profits at the railroad, Burlington, Northern Santa Fe, and its manufacturing and industrial operations. Keep in mind, last year's results were depressed by the pandemic, right? The earnings report is normally posted on Berkshire's website at 8 a.m. Eastern time. Um, Buffett prefers a Saturday release because he thinks it gives investors a chance to digest the results before Monday's trading rather than just having this after hours craziness. So investors who own Berkshire are going to be looking at how much stock they bought back during the quarter and if there were any new purchases in their portfolio other than Verizon, symbol VZ, which we already know. As far as valuation is concerned, the stock is trading at roughly 1.3, 4 times book value, which is the way I value the stock off book value. And I would say 1.3, 1.4 times. That's fairly reasonable. Not too hot, not too cold. So if I didn't already own it, I'd be willing to buy some here. Pepsi, which I mentioned a minute ago, symbol PEP, that's another core type holding. And you'll notice the top four I'm talking about are core type holdings as opposed to longer term trades. Every company is struggling with supply chain issues, and Pepsi's no different. But they managed it particularly well. Reported in earnings were up 8%, which was well above what was expected. The takeaway here is that they raised their full-year revenue guidance, meaning on the top line, they expect to bring in more money, in part because they say that a price increase is coming. You're going to be paying more for a can of Pepsi or a bottle of Gatorade. The real question is, is how much of their cost is going to go up? And, uh, well, how much are their uh, input costs going to go up? And can they protect their margins? As I speak, Pepsi is trading about, oh, 25 times earnings, which is fairly expensive. So I wouldn't be so gung-ho about adding a bunch Again, it's a core holding, so I'm a little bit less price sensitive, but I might just keep this to a a little nibble if I didn't own any. Johnson Johnson, symbol J&J. This is, my opinion, the drug stock, the one I want to own. If I could only own one, this is it. The reason I like it is because it has three different businesses. Remember, I talked about diversification earlier. You have the pharmaceuticals, the medical devices and the consumer products. It's rare that all three are going to be headed in the same direction at once. One's going to be zigging while 
the other two were zagging or vice versa. This quarter, all three were higher. Pharma was up 14%, medical devices up 7.5%, and the consumer products, well, they were chugging along at almost 6% growth. All this adds up to significant, uh, added up to a significant earnings beat. And Johnson & Johnson raised their full year earnings guidance. So here's a high quality, diversified business growing in the low double digits and paying a 2.5% dividend. If Johnson & Johnson is right about their full year earnings guidance, the stock is trading hands at about 16 times this year's earnings. To me, that's too cheap for this quality, this kind of quality business. So I'd be a buyer here. Talking about high quality businesses, how about Apple, symbol AAPL? Investors weren't terribly pleased with what Apple had to say, but they didn't punish the stock like they did some others. Apple's earnings were roughly in line with what was expected. Revenues were up almost 30% year over year, but you guessed it. They said that supply constraints are going to have a greater impact next quarter. That's what folks were worried about. And put it in perspective, they said that these constraints negatively impacted revenue by about $6 billion this quarter. And they expect it to be greater going forward. And there's no doubt Apple's a great business. In the last couple of years, investors have been struggling on what the right price is to pay for Apple. You know, is it a tech business? Is it a consumer products business? Has it become more of a staple? And you'd pay up differently for each of these types of businesses. With Apple trading at about 26 times earnings, it seems a little steep to me here. Okay, I'm out of time. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. It's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talk about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and are not necessarily those of the XML Financial Group. I typically own and trade the securities I'm discussing, both personally and for my clients, but not all of them. Likewise, employees of XML and our affiliate broker-dealer may be trading and providing advice regarding the securities I mentioned to their clients as well. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I suggest you get someone who's qualified in those areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results, and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. I like to make projections and other forward-looking statements, which are just that, opinions. 
and are not actual results and are only valid as of the date of this recording. Things change constantly. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.